text this morning is coming from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Kids, you can go to Kidlands. Good morning. Um, Please... Join me in prayer. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to look at, at this passage in Acts. Thank you for inspiring Luke to give us a history, a, a look at what your, your church looked like at the beginning um, from the time of your ascension on. Thank you for preserving these words over time and pray that, that we may learn something from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, it's a, it's a cool fall Sunday morning, kind of like this morning, brisk in the air. The season's shifting from the hot days of summer to the cool days of winter. What better day to hang out with friends and family? Fellowshipping, with like-minded people who are connected by a common bond. This group is talking, catching up, telling stories about their life. After a while, there's a time of transition to look forward to the front of the room, eager to see what happens and to learn some new lessons. Some lessons are easier to swallow than others, and some are hard to hear. When this common experience is completed, they once again turn to each other, talking about what they just saw and heard. The fellowship doesn't stop at the end of that day, but continues on throughout the week, texting back and forth, calling each other, video chat, having people over for dinner, talking about their common interests. So what does this community sound like? Would you like to be part of it? Is it familiar to your experiences in church? I must confess, this story was not inspired by a church. It's an experience found in the fantasy football world or just sports in general. You learn lessons about how good your team is, like Gamecocks pulled off a nice win yesterday, but I'm sure you learn some lessons about their flaws. You learn about the players if you're doing fantasy football, if you played the right ones or not, and you, you enjoy talking about it with each other. It's, it's interesting when I, when I listen to podcasts about this community, read, read writings, it, it's, they seriously use the word like community. Um, there's even one analyst, uh, his name's Matthew Berry, who even mentions um, like every year he tries to bring someone new into that community, almost like this evangelistic type approach. So I find it intriguing on multiple levels as I experience fantasy football. But we long for community and fellowship. It's part of the image of God in us. 
those that aren't part of the body of Christ search for it in other areas of life, only to be disappointed in the end. We, too, are drawn to these communities that are built around us. And sometimes we neglect the community that's around the gospel because of them. Here's another example. Take a look at this mission statement. Our mission, our goal in life is to help men look, feel, and be their best. This has been our mission since day one. We wanted to help support men, wanted to build a community of guys that were to uplift, encourage, and support each other based on the idea of brotherhood. So what organization do you think this might be? <laughs> it's a beard grooming company uh, called Live Bearded. They're, they're appealing to this sense, this desire for community, and they're using it to try to promote their product and their lifestyle. Now, there's some organizations and writers who are committed to the gospel, also try to build a community around the gospel. And they do the best they can, but even their best efforts can only give us a glimpse of what the fellowship will look like when we're at heaven around this table. One organization that, that I appreciate is, uh, they call themselves the Rabbit Room. Um, Andrew Peterson, if you've heard him brought up, and his brother, Pete Peterson. I think Andrew came up with the idea. Pete's kind of, they've all kind of grown it. It's a pretty neat organization. Their uh, statement is, the Rabbit Room cultivates and curates stories, music, and art to nourish Christ-centered communities for the life of the world. I actually just watched something recently over the weekend. Um, this uh, writer developed this lyrical progression through Psalms 90, uh, taking it from like Lent to Easter. And uh, just this, she brought together all these musicians that collaborated and worked together to put this piece together. And it was just, it was just really neat to see. And um, an example of this community coming around art and presenting the gospel and sending it forth. Authors uh, like J.R.R. Tolkien, um, you can see evidence of community in his life, um, the, the inklings that they built together. And within that community, if, if you all probably know how that helped and made an influence in C.S. Lewis's life as he came through. So here's another gospel-centered group of, group of writers. And we see evidence of it in his writings, like the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. You've got uh, Legolas and Gimli, an elf and a dwarf, completely different backgrounds at odds with each other, kind of bantering back and forth, not liking each other at first. But when they're toward the end in this battle, um, Gimli says, I never thought I'd die fighting side by side with an elf. Legolas replies, how about side by side with a friend? Gimli, I, I could do that. So here they are about to face death, but their common bond that they built, the fellowship with each other, brought about a friendship where they were willing to die, die in that fight. The Lord of the Rings portrays elves and dwarves as enemies at times, at best tolerant of each other. Yet at this moment, after journeying together, struggling together, getting to know each other, on the same mission, two men from different backgrounds come together and build a deep friendship. 
in Acts, Luke gives us a picture of what the early church community looks like or looked like. He shows us the highs and the lows, the struggles and the wins, and it's centered around the truth of the gospel and how it should, or shall I say will, shape God's church. Today, we start by looking at Acts 2.42. It will help us outline the framework of today's message. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. What are the things they're devoted to? Doctrine, teaching, fellowship, praise, prayer, all within community. Doctrine, I think, ties the other parts together. Submission to the Lord and his teaching leads to the dependency on God. Fellowship with God and others influence in the world and results in God being glorified. The apostles' teachings probably included the lessons and teachings they learned from Jesus and how it related to Old Testament scriptures that they were familiar with. The apostles' teaching focused on these things. Jesus' life, ministry, death, resurrection, and on his significance in God's plan. The following themes stand out. Jesus as Israel's Messiah and Lord, the son of David and God's servant, the holy and righteous Savior, the prophet like Moses and the judge of humankind, the necessity of repentance in view of God's revelation in the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus and in the bestowal of the Holy Spirit, God's offer of salvation through Jesus, who is Israel's Messiah and Lord, available only in personal allegiance to Jesus. So we'll see these themes as we, you read through like the different sermons given and the way the apostles present things. Um, I got this list from a, like this specific list from a commentary written by uh, Eckerd Schnabel and Clinton E. Arnold. As you will see, it was centered around the gospel. Paul's teachings and writings also emphasize the importance of sound doctrine and, and teaching. In 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16, Paul encourages Timothy to devote himself to things like the reading of scriptures and teaching. He is to keep watch over the teaching and make sure it is full of truth. Verse 13 says, until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you save both yourself and the hearers, this constant call to stay, stay true to the teaching and to, to persist in it. In Romans 6, within the discourse of no longer being slaves to sin, but to righteousness, Paul points to the role of scriptures in that process. They are being conformed to the truth in scriptures that they have committed themselves to, this, this idea of being committed. 
He says, but thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So proper, proper teaching, doctrine were important to the early church. We too need to strive to be committed to sound teaching, devoting ourselves to the scriptures, committed to God's truth. This will give us a common ground we can stand on, a common interest we can talk about, and a common love for each other. In this passage, we see this idea of togetherness and, and fellowship. So what types of people are part of this community um, was, came to my mind. The obvious answer is believers, those who are committed to the, the truth of the gospel, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but also outsiders. We look further in this passage, we see the response of outsiders, unbelievers, and how they are drawn to this fellowship evidence that outsiders were influenced by this community. We see in verse 43, as a result of this devotion and miraculous work that the apostles were doing, all fear came upon those who witnessed it. This included unbelievers. In verse 43, it says, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This lifestyle pointed people to God, his truths, and who he is. Outsiders see the work of God and his people. It births a fear and reverence in him, which then results in change. We will see more of the change, the cause, and effect later in this passage. But what does all look like? I notice that some translations, like it, King James Version used the word fear in place of all here. So what, what picture do we get from this? For me, um, the ocean comes to mind. An image of the ocean is only a glimpse of the awe experience when we see the work of God and Father. I mentioned before that I like going to the beach. And one of the things I like a lot about is going for a run in the morning or jog, walk. I'll keep scaling it back a little bit until it gets more to what I can do. Um, but looking, looking out toward the sea, considering its vastness, the sound of the waves as they move to the shore, the life within the ocean that helps sustain life on Earth, I soak in its beauty and wonder. It points me to the creator of all things. On calm, quiet mornings, it's, it's so peaceful and stirs my mind to reflect on God and that the God who created all of this cares for us, draws us to him, and wants us to, to know and love him. This summer, we went, we went for a few days to the beach, and one morning I was heading out to, to go for my little morning walk and jog, and this, this couple was coming toward me from the beach, and they said there was a storm brewing over the ocean. I wish I could remember what type of storm, but it was, it was, it was pretty intense. Now, I was smart enough to adjust my jog to in inside the town and not run on the beach, um, but I did want to take a glimpse, so I did walk out there to just kind of look out at it. Instead of the calm, peaceful ocean that I was used to, the waves were crashing with power, 
a power that deserved respect and reverence. At the same time, it still had wonder and beauty. While looking at this word all, it made me think of that time, that moment. If I didn't have a healthy respect for what I witnessed and instead decided not only to head to the beach instead of the streets, but to grab a boogie board and go in the ocean, that could have turned out pretty bad for me. The ocean required my respect and reverence. And with the proper understanding of the beauty of the ocean, the provision and the dangers of the ocean, it's Beauty is beyond understanding. But this, even this does not compare to God's beauty, his provision, and his power. We need to have a proper view of God and know him, or we will be tossed to and fro by bad doctrine, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 14. Now let's continue to verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. As we will see a little later in this passage, they care for each other by selling their possessions and sharing with those in need. But I'd like to point out something else that they have in common here, or what I would like to propose that they have something else in common as well, the gospel. The New Testament puts strong emphasis on fellowship together. Often we find this fellowship connected to their togetherness in the gospel. In Galatians 2.9, when James, Peter, and John saw the work of God's grace in Paul and Barnabas' lives, they gave them the right hand of fellowship, symbolizing their connection as fellow workers on God's mission. In 1 John 1.3, we see that the apostles were witnesses, declaring what they saw to others so that they can have fellowship together as a result of their mutual fellowship with the Father and the Son. Then in 1 John 1, 7, we see once again that walking in the same truth brings fellowship. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So how they practically live out this fellowship? One way was caring for those in needs. We'll see that in verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Acts uh, 4.32, a little further on in Acts, gives it another example of this, a positive example of them living this out. Um, if, if, you look, if you look at the context of it, I find it interesting that this, this part of Acts, Acts 4.32, happened after they were praying for boldness boldness to, uh, to speak the word of God. So there's this connection of prayer and speaking God's truths or sound doctrine. And this, out of this, next comes this progression toward generosity and, and caring for each other's needs. They were of one heart and soul, and they believed the same core truths. Verse 32 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And, the, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, grace, and great grace was upon them. There was not a needy person among them, 
For as many as were owners of the lands or houses sold them and bought, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Right in between those verses, like in the middle of all that, it talked about they were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, the, the, the gospel is a central piece to what's going on. In Acts, Luke shows people growing in God's grace as we progress through Acts, but also he, he, he's not afraid to show us their flaws. They're, they're still a broken people. We see this in Acts 6, in the first part of Acts 6, where there was a group that was left out in this giving. The, uh, there was complaint by the, the um, Hellenists that the, their widows weren't getting the proper distribution or a fair distribution. But the apostles, knowing God's truths, knowing his words, didn't just say, oh, whatever, we don't, you know, we're doing the best we can. Uh, they, instead, they came up with a solution and worked together within the community to come up with a way where those, those, can, those people can be served. And um, we see in verse 6-7, the result of this was that the word of God continued to go out and they grew in numbers. So once again, the word of God and the result was, was growth. It, it, was, it was a part, uh, later on I'll mention that also part of this was the, the apostles wanted to make sure that the teaching of God's word wasn't compromised in prayer because they, they wanted to be all focused on that. So they got another group of people, the deacons, to help serve in that way. Um, Jesus was the example the church was following. Paul gives us a picture of this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, wait, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He says these verses right before challenging them to give. But this giving wasn't coerced by any outside forces, government, church, institutions, but instead it was a voluntary giving out of love for God and others. The motivation behind the giving is important. Paul mentioned this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You may ask, how did they know each other's needs? By living life together, day by day, more than just once a week. Spending this level of time together creates an environment in which we know each other's needs, an ongoing relationship beyond a two-hour Sunday morning service. Look further in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Later on again in Acts 5.42, um, you, you see some similar wording. Um, verse 42 says, And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Lord. In this verse, we see that teaching was part of the reason why they were attending the temple. When you think of this in our context, 
what comes to mind? Midlands Church? A group of believers in a city worshiping together? This wasn't the experience the church had at the temple. If you look in chapter 5, we'll see that the apostles taught in the temple amid opposition. Yes, the temple was a place they could engage in God's word, the Torah, the Old Testament writings. These writings would help point people to God and his, his redemptive plan. People that didn't believe in Jesus also met at the temple. They were still following the Jewish traditions. And the uh, leaders of the day, the religious leaders of the day, presided in that space. So it wasn't just a Sunday morning worship service full of people that were like-minded. Within that environment, the body of Christ was bold and engaged with those outsiders, boldly proclaiming Jesus' teaching and how it related to those Old Testament writings. They were worshiping together amid opposition. Next, we, uh, we also saw that they, were, they would also spend time in each other's homes, and we've, we have this idea of breaking bread together. Breaking bread was a common way to start a meal, um, so it, it, can, it can give a picture of fellowshipping around a table, around a meal. It also, as, as you know, is a piece of communion. Jesus calls us to break bread with each other as a reminder of the work on the cross and his broken body on a regular basis. Uh, in Acts 27, we see the first time it's mentioned in Acts that they gathered on a Sunday. It's, it's found in Acts 20, verse 7. Part of the day involved breaking bread, eating together. Let's read verse 7, and then we'll skip to verse 11. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. Intending to depart the next day, he prolonged his speech until midnight. And when Paul had gone, uh, skipping to 11, and when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, there it is again, he conversed with them for a long while until daybreak, and so departed. Paul talked with them and conversed. It gives a picture of teaching and having conversation, fellowshipping together. Does this sound familiar to what we do at Midlands each Sunday? A time of teaching, but we also encourage people to come early, have coffee, engage with each other, get to know each other, or stay a little bit afterwards, or maybe even go out to lunch with some friends. And we have ways to connect beyond Sunday, like uh, community groups, Bible studies, fellowship times. I like uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It gives a wonderful reminder of our need for each other and regular regular fellowship. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The mention of love and good works, stirring each other. This church is give, like selling possessions, giving to the needy. We see, we're seeing that in Acts. Not neglecting meeting together. They're meeting day by day in Acts, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as things are getting tougher, as, as persecutions are rising and stuff like that, that this, this fellowship, this connection with the body of Christ is, 
is of importance. Now we're going to move on to um, the, the concept of prayer and, and worship and praise that, that can be found in this passage. In Acts, Luke shows us many examples of their dependency on God being demonstrated by prayer. After Jesus ascended into heaven, we see the disciples gathering together in prayer, like soon after or right after in Acts chapter 1. Note the similar wording in chapter 1, verse 14, as we see in 2.42. In 1.14, it says, All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In this moment of wonder, they had just seen the ascension, it's a moment of waiting and a need for God's guidance, waiting on the Holy Spirit, wondering what's going to happen next. Their first response is prayer, showing their dependency on God. But not just personal prayer. It was prayer with one accord together in someone's house. We also see them praying in Acts 4.31. They prayed during a time of struggle, and the Holy Spirit gave them boldness. In Acts 6.4, we see the apostles being examples of devoting themselves to prayer and the word. Paul also echoes the same importance of prayer in his writings, as we can see in Colossians 4.2-4. He covets their prayers, that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. He knows that God is the one who reveals his word to the lost. And he wants people to pray so that God can provide. So in key moments of waiting, decision-making, and amid persecution, they turned to God. They prayed in one accord with the same focus and purpose together. Before we move to verse 47, I want to look a little back at 46 where it says, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The provision of God, of their physical needs, by the way of the body of Christ providing for each other, stirred thankfulness in them, an act of praise toward the provider, knowing that God is the one that has provided these things. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day, who are being saved. Outsiders witnessed this fellowship, as I mentioned before, and they were being blessed by it. They must have wondered, what is different about these people? But did they wonder? Not at all. The people of God praised him, gave God credit. So instead of wondering why, the outsiders were in awe. The gospel was presented to them, the truth of who God was. The church of God had favor with all people. God used the church as they loved him and cared for others. We can say they loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and loved their neighbors as themselves. The beautiful result of this was God adding to their numbers. He grew the church. He is the one that brings growth. And we see that 
and we're reminded of that in what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. What makes this community unique? Their commitment to Jesus. What gives them the ability to live in this way? The Holy Spirit. The community we build here on earth is a shadow of what is to come, a glimpse of the fellowship we will have in him, with him in heaven. At the beginning of this message, I mentioned fantasy football. What I didn't mention is uh, some of my own personal experience. There's a group of friends that I have. I'm from Pennsylvania that, that still live there, that, that were a big part of my life when I lived there and when I was younger. They, we do a draft every year, but I join through Zoom and other electronic means while they're all in the room, fellowshipping around food, break, breaking bed, bread together. Um, but each year leading up to it, during it and after it, I have this longing to be there in person. Although my online experience is great, like I enjoy it, it's, I look forward to it. I think my girls and, and Amanda like seeing me get excited about it. Um, but it's not the same as if I was there. Um, this year they talked about, hey, maybe you should fly up next year. And I'm like, huh, that's a thought. But, um, but I'm longing to be there in that presence. It's, it's not the same. Something's missing from being a distance, even though there, there, there's some joy and benefits to it. May the joy we find gathering together remind us of what we hope for the longing we have to be in the presence of the Lord, our Lord God and Savior. <clears throat> Fellow believers, Christ followers, how does this shape the way we live? Have the scriptures, fellowship, and prayer been a regular part of your life? Midlands Church offers ways for you to follow this example. On Sunday morning, we lift up God's word and we'll have occasional services focused on prayer so that we can have communal prayer together. We have upcoming events like the fall festival, men's breakfast, we'll have women's fellowships throughout the year, community groups, and as you saw, we're doing a student ministry for them to have fellowship together. So we give opportunities to be present with each other. But don't let it stop there. Be intentional. Intentional hospitable toward fellow believers in this church and your neighborhood. Know each other so that we know how to care for each other's physical needs. We can lift each other up. We can challenge fellow Christ followers. If we do this as we live our lives in the community, community around us, outsiders will be drawn by God to himself. The body of Christ will grow and he will be glorified. We're going to um, transition to communion now, which, which is a symbol, like it, it's a picture of us fellowshipping with common interests. It's, it's a reminder of God's work of the gospel, which is being presented to us, a reminder of his, his, his sacrificial love and, and what he did on the cross. Um, it's for those who have put their trust, trust in him and believe, believe and trust in him as a savior. 
I, I, I like uh, 1 Corinthians 11.26, one of the, pa- the end of one of the passages that, that talks about communion and the elements. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That hope of the, we're getting a glimpse of what a community can be like, but we, we, should, we should desire to be in his presence and proclaim his, the work of the gospel to each other, to the outsiders, to people around us uh, until he comes and look forward to it. So as we head to the time of communion, join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful picture of your church and how they come together around, around you, around who you are. Your, your, they praise your provision, your redemptive work in our lives. I pray that as we take this, this bread and cup, that it's a reminder of our fellowship with you and that it leads us to a stronger fellowship with, with believers, with, with fellow believers. I pray that this be a reminder throughout the week to be intentional about getting to, to know the people around us, the believers that you put in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.